This is Corkscrew Convos, another theme park podcast. My name is DJ. And my name is Chris. And we're here to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, barbecue, the theater, a lost city, and everything else under the sun in its time. But first, let's get the disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. Hey, uh, DJ. Yes, Chris. Uh, what What's up? I can't sleep. I don't know why. Oh. Yeah, my mind's drifting to past adventures, future journeys. Moral of the story, I can't sleep, or I guess more accurately, I am incapable of being at rest right now. <laughs> That's rough. Uh, DJ. Yes? How about you tell me a story? A story. Yes, a story to help me sleep. Something to take my mind uh, somewhere it hasn't been. I think that would help me sleep. Okay. Uh, A story. A a good story book. Yeah, it's no problem if you can't think of a story. uh, But if you got one to share... No, 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 no. I, 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 I have something. A story I haven't told in many years. Okay. This is the story of Celebration City. Celebration City. I've heard that before, but I have never been there. What is Celebration City? Paint a picture for me. Really, Chris, Celebration City is where, at least for me, a lot of this theme park interest, a lot of this fun in parks, a lot of this intrigue and fascination I have in the amusement industry This is where it began. Uh, Celebration City, originally, um, Branson, USA. I believe it was even something before Branson, USA. But as the title says, located in Branson, Missouri. And this, Chris, was huge for me. Uh, Up until Celebration City, um, I had only visited amusement parks or theme parks in the realm of Roller Coaster Tycoon back in the day. We're talking, I think, 1999 at this point, maybe 2000. Um, so I had not really been to a park. I had seen it on parks on different media outlets, like different shows on Nickelodeon, for instance, or maybe I had seen, you remember the, that National Six Flags commercial they used to play all the time with Mr. Six? Oh yes, of course I do, yeah. Coming out of the bus, right? And so I remember that, but I didn't really understand what these places were. Um, I'd not been to one. I always wanted to go to one, thanks to the commercials from Six Flags and thanks to all of the media I was exposed to. I never really got to go. Um, I had been to some fairs that had come by for like the county fair, for instance, but you know, that's not very accurate as to what an amusement park was. I had done the carousel, you know, motorcycle bikes and stuff like that, Uh, but not really an amusement park, not really a theme park, at least in the traditional sense. I always wanted to go to Disney World, however, it didn't happen until I was 20 and went myself, but um, I always wanted to just experience it and go. And so for a while, I was just in Roller Coaster Tycoon. That's how I really got into the amusement industry originally and thought, wow, this is really cool. And back then, you know, I was so young, I didn't know what I was doing in the game. I was just having fun. Sometimes I couldn't figure it out and get frustrated and then not play it for a few weeks and come back. And there was something that just made me keep trying. You know, why why can't I figure out this game? Why is it so hard? Other people can do it. Why can't I do it? And so I kept grinding at that game. And, and meanwhile, I ended up going to Silver Dollar City for the first time. I believe it was 2001. I won't tell you how old I was, but I remember being at that park, and honestly, Chris, I hated it. Wow, you hated it? Yes. Um, Back when we visited the first time, my grandparents took me. I had not been before. I didn't really like what was there. And when I say I hated it, it was certain things I didn't like about it. For instance, I felt that... Again, I was very young. I remember thinking, wow, a lot of these rides are dark. There's a lot of tunnels. There's a lot of loud noises. Chris, that's not good for, for me back back then. Mm-hmm. 
And so, whether it would be Grandfather's Mansion, where it was just a little too scary for me, whether it would be the tunnel in the American Plunge, same story, uh, even Fire in the Hole, I didn't even do it because I was just scared. I was scared of everything when I was younger, and it was very evident in theme parks. And I find it funny that I'm so interested in them now, because almost every single thing scared me. I wouldn't do many rides, and I thought the crafts were boring. And the only thing I really remember liking about Silver Dollar City when I was young was a portion called Geyser Gulch. This was a water, standing water attraction. You would basically shoot these giant super soaker guns that were hooked up to all these air compressors at different targets. There was also a foam ball pit treehouse sort of thing that was there. Uh, it's Fireman's Landing now. That's um, what I was about to growing ask. Up, yeah, it's Fireman's Landing now. And, you know, I remember my, I think my aunt putting me on the water boggin, which is also no longer there, which was behind Fireman's Landing. And I remember just hating her because it scared me so bad riding that oh. thing. The same with Lost River of the Ozarks, which is now Mystic River Falls. At the end of that ride, you'd come into a cave, and there was loud, almost like, it was a heart, I think it was a heartbeat or something, drums going, dun 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 uh, but it's very dark. I remember there being a skull. Not, not good for someone my age, <laughs> maybe a little bit too young. And so, knowing that all I did when I went to Silver Dollar City was go to Geyser Gulch, and that was about it. I didn't like crafts. There was a Nickelodeon show at the time. Double Dare 2000 was, like, doing a, not an actual taping, but I guess it was a traveling show. That was pretty cool. Um, but that was only for one year. And so my family was like, you know, maybe we should do something else. And so around that time, 2003, an uh, interesting park opened up just across the way from Silver Dollar City. And it's the title of the episode. It's what we've already talked about. That's Celebration City. Chris, before I tell you about my journey to Celebration City, my first experience in 2003, I'm curious what you know about the park. Do you know anything at all? Celebration City. Well, it's not a place that I ever had the opportunity to go to, unfortunately, but I will say that in my travels throughout my life, I have driven past it a couple of times when it's closed. I mean, spoiler, it's long gone now, unfortunately, it's closed, but I was able to drive past it. Unfortunately, not before the Wildcat, the Ozark Wildcat, was demolished. So I never got to see that coaster, but I could see some buildings, maybe some go-kart track-looking things. Uh, I saw their Shoot the Shoots ride that I think has since been relocated to somewhere in Europe or, or South America, I think. And... I remember thinking, wow, they used to have another park here to complement Silver Dollar City. I didn't know much about it. I still don't know a lot about it because it has been so long since it's been open. But I know that you have a history with the park, and so that's why I'm so interested in hearing more about it. Uh, what was Celebration City, and what was it to you? You know, essentially, this is where, um, as I said earlier, and I'll expound on it a little bit more, my love of coasters of the amusement industry, all of that uh, really came to fruition. Celebration City, the original concept, was a sort of secondary park, almost a sister park to Silver Dollar City. So Silver Dollar City is set in the 19th century in the 1880s. Uh, it's a park that would always open, you know, 9 in the morning, 10 in the morning, um, and even sometimes you could get there as early as 7.30 in the morning and have breakfast on the square. Um, but the park was similar to some of the parks over in the UK where, and I think some other European parks are like this as well, where they would close at, you know, five in the afternoon. I think some parks even close at three over there sometimes. <laughs> but Silver Dollar City, I mean, there wasn't a day when it would be open past six. You know, that was rare. Um, Moonlight Madness and Midnight Madness, as it exists today, um, wasn't really the the typical experience at Silver Dollar City, let's say. That's a relatively newer thing, and that actually um, started, I believe, right after Celebration City closed, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, you know, the park itself at Celebration City was designed to be a secondary experience or a second part of your day. Um, Silver Dollar City also owned Whitewater, the water park, and for a lot of people, you know, you go to a water park, that's pretty much it for the day. 
Um, they don't want to do anything else uh, because it just wears them out. And I think you can see this with something modern like Volcano Bay. The idea is to keep you there all day. You're probably not going to go to Universal or somewhere else after hitting Volcano Bay. You're just too tired. It's just too much of a too much of an experience almost. But Celebration City was that afternoon to late night experience. The park never opened in th- until 3 p.m. Uh, wow, that was very okay. strange. I even remember as a kid, again, we're going back to 2003. I remember, gosh, that's almost 20 years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just now thought of that. Um, I remember like thinking of how long it took for it to hit 3 p.m., on our Celebration City Day during our yearly Branson vacation. Um, It's just like, wow, you know, usually with something like a Disney or Silver Dollar City even or your normal theme park, you know, you wake up, you get up early, you can't sleep the night before or something, and then you go. Well, not only do you have that for Celebration City, but like I said, it doesn't open till 3. So you're not leaving your resort, you're not leaving your hotel, wherever you're at you know, at least until 2 p.m., right? And so that was always strange. And I remember it was one of my least favorite parts about it was having to think about it all day Um, because it didn't open until 3. But this Well, DJ, let me ask you this. With this scheduling that you're describing, this strategy of Silver Dollar City before the last maybe 10 or so years never staying late, open never staying open into the evening very late is that because of the nature of many attractions in branson that they would be competing with all of the dinner shows that would draw people maybe out of the park uh, for dinner and the show elements as well uh, where they'd go down to the strip at branson and see those dinner shows that would draw them out of the park so it would then make sense for the park to close at or even a little before dinner is that am i understanding that right Yeah, I think you're hitting on what probably was the reason for a long time. If you understand the history of Branson, um, and this is coming from someone who actually used to live there um, for, what did I live there, two years, I think? I lived there for two years, and the Branson that I lived in was much different than the Branson I grew up visiting. And so the Branson I grew up visiting was very centered on what you just said, live entertainment, and there were some secondary things to do as well. Uh, even Silver Dollar City didn't really become really an amusement park or a theme park, really, until, what would it be, like 90, early 90s when Thunderation was built? I mean, before that, you had Fire in the Hole existed, of course. If you've been on that ride, yeah, it's a roller coaster, but it's not, you know, super thrilling. I, I don't even think to... to, to the 70s standards when it was built. I think it was built in the 70s. Um, it still isn't that thrilling of an attraction. It's more of a dark ride experience, but I guess right. it's a coaster. But anyways, you know, Silver Dollar City, like you said, probably did compete, and I say probably, it's almost as if I know they did compete with nightly entertainment. Um, when you had people like Andy Williams, Vince Gill, Mo Bandy, Mickey Gilly, um, playing shows every single night, it's really hard to compete with that, Chris, (laughs) because these are stars that really were stars for their time. It wasn't like they just quit. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to Branson. I have nothing else to do with my my life as an artist, so I'm going to go to Branson. That's not the case at all. Branson was very similar to Las Vegas or Nashville. It was literally where people would go. I think Bobby Vinton was there for a while. Um, really, I remember learning in class, I forgot which, it might've been a a Giro tourism class that Branson, Missouri at one point, it might've been as recent as the nineties or the early aughts was the number one motor coach destination in the country. I believe that's correct. The, the motor coach, the RV tours that would come through still are there today, but yes, the early 90s, the very, very late 80s, but really talking the early mid 90s, that was for shows really the pinnacle for Branson and even into the late 90s a little bit. So Silver Dollar City, yes, they did compete with that. You know, how are we going to be open at 9, 10 at night when people can go see these these real stars? Um, mainly now, 
the shows that you would find in Branson are usually variety shows, or they're somewhat of like a cover show, if that makes sense, a cover band or a cover group um, playing certain eras of music. They will have some traveling people come in. I remember that David Spade did a stand-up set one night, just randomly. Um, but they don't have what exists still today in Las Vegas, where when I was just there a couple months ago, or last month, I guess, um, Lady Gaga had you know, a four month run tour she was getting ready for, or I think Adele was going to have almost a year long show, you know, stuff like that. And so you don't really have that in Branson anymore. I mean, you could watch David Copperfield, Chris Angel, um, but not, not in Branson, at least not today. And so they had to compete with that. And they did have a show, um, the Echo Hollow show that they still do at Silver Dollar City. Um, but it was much more theatrical than it is today. Today, it's more of a variety show, mainly focused on music. I think there was even a storyline at one point when they started this show, but they made Echo Hollow Theater for this and some other groups that would come by. Um, but to go back to what you said, you know, Silver Dollar City um, just probably couldn't compete with that. And they didn't want to. There's no reason to, um, because these artists aren't going to play a show at at noon. I guess they'd have matinee shows on Sunday, I suppose. Um but that just wasn't what they were. So it wasn't until Thunderation opened at Silver Dollar City would I consider it to be more of a theme park. After that, you had Buzzsaw Falls opening, which I think was the world's first liquid coaster. It, it was it was really like a primitive water coaster, um, which is now a powder keg. And then they had Wildfire, which opened in 2000. And it's either one or two. I can't remember. Um, but all of that to say... There was nothing to really do at Silver Dollar City after that, that 6 o'clock, right? Because not only did the park close, but Silver Dollar City wasn't still, in my opinion, this... And I know I was younger, but looking back, I can say this. It wasn't really this thrill capital that, that it kind of is today. Um, yeah, Wildfire was there, had a cool backdrop. But most of the time, Buzzsaw Falls, from what I understand, and reading on these forums from a long time ago... You're lucky if it was open when you were there because it was a prototype ride. Um, and Thunderation, you know, it's cool, but it's a mine train. So you think about that. You've got three coasters, um, two of which are guaranteed to always be open. One's iffy. And I don't know, Chris, that any of those rides would be considered a world-class attraction, at least back then. Yeah, I think with all of the incredible investment that we've seen in Silver Dollar City, over the last decade or so, it's hard to remember what the experience was like before then. Like I'd say with Outlaw Run being added in 2012, I think it was. Is that right? 2012? 2013. Okay. With Outlaw Run being added in 2013 and then them adding coasters and water rides and big, big additions for the decade after that, I think it's, in a lot of ways, redefined what a day to Silver Dollar City is like. A lot of it is modernization that we've seen in some of their infrastructure, but also adding the big flashy stuff that you could put on a souvenir cup and a park map. Um, So to think back to before that time when they did at some point share an experience with Celebration City of beginning your day at Silver Dollar City, then ending it at Celebration City down in uh, Branson near the Strip itself, it's very interesting to consider. Yeah, and I think Celebration City, to go back to your original question, what was it like? I think it was more of this thrilling place that's more ride-oriented, more things to do, for just the, you know, attention-starved side of you for the right person. And I think the younger person, you know, me being so young, it was much more entertaining for me to just go from ride to ride to ride. I didn't care what theming looked like. It didn't matter to me. What mattered to my family was that the rides were A, safe, and B, the park was clean, and C, that the employees were nice. Um, So you already get... Um, all of those points at Silver Dollar City, except the theming part. You know, and that's what my family enjoyed about Silver Dollar City. They could see blacksmithing happening. They could see pottery being made. You could see candy being made. Um, But the rides were few and far between, right? 
And so now, you know, I think you would be kind of not ignorant necessarily, but to say that the main experience of Silver Dollar City is not rides these days, um, I think would be probably inaccurate to say. I think it's a well-themed park with world-class rides and some awesome entertainment, some awesome craft demonstration, and some great some great food. Um, but rides are definitely what draws you to the park. And like you said, I don't think they were using rides as that sort of anchor to get people from all, literally all over the world to go to the park. They mm-hmm. were just trying to get those returning customers and get their friends to come and recommend it to their friends and then make it a tradition for their families. So I think that business model has changed a bit. And so, I don't know, you go on forums and you'll see people, or even if you talk where I'm from, if you talk with people about the park, they might say, well, you know, it's almost like a Six Flags now, or it's almost like a, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, no, I think they just changed their focus. I think the product is still better than than those other products if if i can say that um but celebration city had some of the theming that silver dollar city was famous for um but just in a different way for example the park was themed loosely to early 20th century america Um, there were a variety of different attractions that one could ride there were a variety of different areas Um, inside of the park there was this sort of main street usa looking part that you would first enter into the park Um, this sort of old town square um, almost like industrial revolution you know very prim and proper lots of metalwork lots of brass items um, victorian architecture almost Um, and i always thought even as a kid the entrance to Celebration City was cooler than Silver Dollar City. I don't know if I would say that today. It was just two different things. Um, do you remember, Chris, in Roller Coaster Tycoon? <laughs> this is really niche, but there was like a scenery pack, and one of them was city or modern or something like that. Yes. Celebration City, the entrance in the first main area was essentially that, <laughs> which is so funny. Um, it's hmm. literally, it, those buildings were plopped down, and that was your theme as you went in. You had this cool um, brick-pillared gate with a large, large metal sign that said Celebration City in gold metallic letters. The ticket booths were straight ahead of you in this town hall-looking building, and to your left were the turnstiles and that main drag. I can't remember what the street was called, um, but very Main Street USA, um, and it was the most themed area of the park was when you first walked in. You have to know that this used to be a park called Branson, USA. Branson, USA, I believe, was even something before that. But Branson, USA was really a, I think it was a free admission, but ticketed ride um, amusement park. So you basically just had rides and rides, and they would have a loose name and some cool colors, um, but no theming. And so that still kind of existed in Celebration City. They didn't move a lot of the rides from Branson, USA. Um, And they didn't add much theming to it. So once you went through the main gate, you go through the turnstiles, it's 3 p.m., you would walk past this large, large granite ball that's being moved by surface tension on water. This is now located um, outside of the Grand Exposition at Silver Dollar City. That's where the ball was originally from. A kugel. Yes, yes, that's the name. I think it was actually given by Tony Orlando or something like that. Um, I can't remember. I think it was a gift from him. Um, Who's Tony but Orlando? Anyways, was it is it Tony Orlando or maybe it's it's not Tony Bennett? I have, might have the name wrong. It was this it was a star that ended up playing in Branson. Uh, he's very popular, um, especially in the '90s. Um, but he played in Branson, and I think he donated the ball or something like that. Um, but even the original inscription that's underneath the kugel is still on that item at the Grand Exposition. There's a line in there about celebration, um, which is funny that you know now it's outside of Silver Dollar City at the Grand Exposition. So you would go in, you'd go by the kugel, you'd go down the main street, bunch of shops, different stalls. Um, the first ride that you come to, can you guess what it is? Mm. The Frog Hopper. 
Nope. Um, I think you might think it would be the carousel, um, but it was actually the flying oh, scooters. Okay. So the yeah, park I was no positioned. Idea. In... I was just guessing. <laughs> oh, that's okay. So the park was positioned in a way where I remember, you know, the idea was that you'd go through Main Street and then boom, there's what they call, I think it was literally called Vintage Carousel. And there was the carousel, this very nice carousel with a brick building, a brick rotunda, I guess you call it. Uh, incredible landscaping around it, all pretty flowers. You know, the building that, that the carousel was in, the shops and stalls around it matched with the brick and the clean concrete. Um, but just because of how the park was, <laughs> you would go, and instead of seeing that, the first thing you saw were the flying scooters. There was no theming to the flying scooters. They were just flying scooters. So I do remember that being interesting. But I did do the flying scooters on my first experience there. Like I said, I wasn't um, really into riding rides. It was very interesting. Like, I loved playing the, the games, the Roller Coaster Tycoon, but um, I, I wasn't into actually riding stuff. And so I did flying scooters. I was like, oh, okay, that was interesting. You know, I was a little woozy, a little queasy. Um, I was like, I might do that later on, knowing I probably wouldn't. <laughs> um so then, oh, there's the carousel. Oh, yeah, I'll do the carousel. I'm big and brave. So I'll do the carousel. I ended up doing that. Then you come around the corner from the carousel, and there is what you see from the parking lot of Celebration City, the Jackrabbit. This is a, is it Miller or Myler? I always want to say Miller. Uh, Myler, I think, is what I've heard is before. Is it Myler? M-I-L-E-R. So here's this Myler, mm-hmm. this, this Myler compact coaster. You know, if I were to see it today, it's laughable. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll ride it. But I remember thinking how massive it was. Um, the turnaround from the chain lift at the top to the first drop, it was just situated at the top in such a way, like there's no supports underneath it. And I always thought that was so interesting as a kid. It's like, how is that not falling down, you know? I remember it being loud. I remember people screaming on it. And now remember, I loved Roller Coaster Tycoon. I loved watching shows about roller coasters. I loved the Six Flags commercials. So there's my family saying, okay, there's your roller coaster, Dalton. Are you ready? <laughs> and me, I'm mm. like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess to give you some perspective, I think I was six or seven at this time. Might have been seven. Um, was this the roller coaster that was later moved to Wild Adventures? Yes, so this was then okay. Viking Voyager at Wild Adventures. It is now located at Fun Spot Kissimmee, or Kissimmee. Okay. Fun Spot Kissimmee. Um, so you, I could ride it again, I guess, if I wanted to. But I said, okay, yeah, you know what? They're right. I always want to do roller coasters, so here's my chance, you know, and I don't want to do it, but I'm telling myself, just do it, just do it, just do it. And so you, you walk up to the Jackrabbit, as the ride was called, black track with gray supports, and these three cars to make one train two seats to each car so uh, it always had an interesting line because it could only pump through six people at a time and that was the other thing at this park almost everything was low capacity save one attraction i'll tell you about that one in a minute but um you walk on this metal catwalk sort of thing as you do with many compact coasters where the queue itself is part of the the ride it's not necessarily its own concrete, you know, switchback or something like that. So you're walking on this thing, ka-tung, ka-tung, ka-tung. Get up to the ride, and they say, okay, jump on in, young man. And so I get in, the bar goes down, and I remember thinking how quick it was. I thought I was going to get some time to breathe and think about it, and it almost, it just seemed like by the time I sat down and pulled the bar down, I was I was off. I was like, oh, no, this was, a, as soon as the ride went, I thought this was, this was a terrible idea. This was an absolutely nightmare idea. My only roller coaster experience before this had been back when I was three years old. I remember this. And it was actually at Branson, USA, on the Dragon Wagon. Uh, and I remember crying my eyes out. Didn't like it. Didn't enjoy it. I don't know what it was for me. And so all of a sudden, I get the same feeling as back then. I hadn't been on a roller coaster since. It's like, oh, no, I just like looking at these things. I don't want to ride it. The thing goes up, it takes the first drop, and I just remember feeling that G-force for the first time. It was just unbelievable. Um, It made me feel terrible. (laughs) I was like, I hate this. Um, So I suffered through the ride, got off, and I was like, okay, I don't know if I want to do that again. 
And so my family's like, oh, sure you do. We're going to go ride something else. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> so we made our way through Celebration City. We stopped at, they had a scrambler. I don't know where that scrambler's at today. It was just a normal scrambler. It even said scrambler. It was straight from a, a fair or at least a vendor like that. Uh, we moved then to the bumper cars attraction. These were interesting bumper cars in that you weren't necessarily doing a free-for-all. You were actually going in a circuit. You had to keep turning left and go around a, a circle, essentially. So they weren't necessarily bumper cars. It's very weird. Uh, and then I think they had, like, one of these... I think they're still around somewhere. I want to say, like, Kennywood or Knobles or something like that. I think Worlds of Fun even had these back in the day. Um, but they had these remote control boats. So these boats were kind of like these miniature boats. They're, like, very accurate to real boats in a way, but very small. I remember you could, like, pilot those and... I don't remember what you, the, the point of it was, but I remember they were there. There was also a go-kart track, um, but it was a separate ticketed attraction. I cannot remember the cost, but the line, all the way from, this is in 2003, to the last year when we would visit, the line was just atrocious, and I never understood. Um, actually, it wasn't separated ticketed. That's why That's why the line was so long. Oh. You didn't have to pay for the hmm. go-karts. Yeah, it was, it was free. Uh, so I think that's why the line was always so long for them. And we never did them. Um, I think it might have been one of the cooler tracks in Branson at the time. There's way better ones now. But I remember that one being um, pretty cool to look at. It was based off Route 66, which is one of the main themed areas of this of this park. They took a lot of the attractions from Branson, USA. They brought in some new attractions as well. And really, 50% of this park was themed to Route 66. Um, close by was Springfield, Missouri, which is, I believe... Um, right on Route 66. Um, I can't... No, it's not the birthplace. That would be stupid to say. Um, the idea of Route 66 was originated in Springfield, I think. Okay. Is that right? Okay. That, sound, that sounds right. Because I'm, I'm thinking, well, that's not where it starts, but that would make sense. Um, so Route 66 has this huge, um, you know, presence there, and it, it makes sense to have this area. So the bumper cars were themed to that. Um, then we walked up to the second coaster of the day, which was the Thunderbolt. This is now located at Glenwood Caverns as Cliffhanger, which was closed when I visited, so I was unable to ride it. Um, but on my first visit to Celebration City, Chris, I saw this thing and I said, absolutely not. Um, it had what looked like a vertical loop to me. Seeing it now, I know that it's not. But when I didn't know terminology, didn't know that sort of thing, um, I took one look at this thing and I said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Well, how is it different than the first coaster, the Jackrabbit? What, now, there's similar coasters in stature, are they not? They are somewhat. I think what it was for me, and I remember thinking this, Thunderbolt, and I didn't know how to articulate this when I was younger, right? But Jackrabbit was drop. Banked turn, drop, turn, drop, turn. It just go back and forth, bunny hop, bunny hop, bunny hop. Thunderbolt was very, it was, it was more twisty. Um, steeper banks. Okay. I remember the first drop was a twisting drop. Um, there's that like, it's not a loop, but it's like a Schwarzkopf style. Like, l it looks like a loop the way that it does this banked drop turn. So it was more like a spaghetti bowl situation. And when I was younger, I was just like, that's going to be scarier. And I remember going back years later, I think it was like two years after that and writing it. I was like, oh, this was a joke. Jackrabbit's better than this. Um, so hmm. I, I always found that funny. Um, so I didn't write it. My family tried to convince me to do it. My aunt and uncle was there. And some friend, um, some family from out of town were there and or from out of state, I should say. I just said, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. So, I waited as they, as my family wrote it and said, oh, it's not, it's, it's no worse than Jackrabbit. And I didn't trust them. I was like, oh, they're lying to me. So I said, no, I, that's okay. I, I'm going to sit out this time. I, and still was very uncomfortable with how Jackrabbit made me feel. And so there at the end of this drag on, I believe this would be like the north side of the park, that Route 66 side, there was a ride called the Orbiter. Uh, this is essentially a flying carpet ride, magic carpet ride. Um, I remember wanting to do that one. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely do that. I like how it sounded. I like how it looked. Um, definitely was up my alley. Uh, I remember riding it, and kind of the same thing, Chris. Hated it. I was like, what is this feeling? Like, I don't <laughs> like this feeling in my stomach. It was positive Gs airtime. and negative Gs. Airtime, yeah. Um, I don't know what it was. So I rode it once, and I was like, God, 
that was fun. I think I'm good again. <laughs> and so we we left that and now we're by this large, large building called the I think the Baijou or the Beiju, Biju is like B-I-J-O-U. Um I can't remember what that means, but this was essentially like a large arcade. It used to be the entrance to Branson, USA. Um, but they had converted it at Celebration City into an arcade. And so you go in there, and yeah, I spent an hour and a half in there. I'm like, oh, this is all I want to do. I just want to play video games all day. I don't want to do this <laughs> scary stuff. So I remember wasting time in there. And then you go on the other side of this building. So it has a it has an entrance and an exit that takes you to another part of the park. It's the last sort of the ending to Route 66. This used to be the parking lot to Branson, USA. Uh, and that is where the monstrosity of a ride you may be familiar with, and you've already talked about it, actually, the Ozark Wildcat, a GCI custom wooden roller coaster, was located right there. And it was massive, Chris. Um, I had not seen anything like that ever. And I remember going to Silver Dollar City, like I said, when I was younger. We never even went by the roller coasters. We just went outside fire in the hole. So for me... All in this day, I had seen three roller coasters really for the first time in my life, and I didn't even know how to comprehend what um, OzCat was. Now, is this coaster, was it 2003 that it first opened? Yeah, so it was built from the ground up uh, with Celebration City's opening, so it was kind of the crown jewel of that park. Um, most of the okay, other rides there. Being a, a GCI wooden coaster, it almost sounds like a sibling to Thunderhead at Dollywood, which opened in 2004, I think. Yeah, I think it was right after CC's opened. Um, but, you know, OzCat was, I think, really the, the draw to this park. On your way to Silver Dollar City, whether, you know, there's really two main ways to get there at this point. They didn't have the high road constructed yet, I don't think. And so on your way to Silver Dollar City, you had to go by this monstrosity of wooden roller coaster track. Um, and in Branson, there was really nothing like that. You had these, you know, little amusement rides here and there, and then Silver Dollar City's rides, you know, they're all back in the woods. You never really saw them. And so then to see the Wildcat just there all the time, people were like, wow. I remember it had um, this, like, running light that would go up. I think it actually went all around the track. They had a rope light that followed the entire track. I remember that being so cool when I was a kid. Um, but unfortunately wasn't still really into roller coasters. So <laughs> I saw it, I heard it, I looked at it. I was like, if you think I'm going to ride that and I'm not going to ride Thunderbolt, absolutely not. This is not up my alley at all. <laughs> uh, they had a little mini drop tower there. One of those, um, I can't remember the manufacturer, but you know, it sits like six kids and it goes up and down. Kind of like, I think it's the frog hopper it's in some places. Yeah. Okay. It was SNS. Mm -hmm. So I did that and yeah, it kind of makes my stomach feel weird. Kind of with everything during this is kind of the theme if you haven't if you couldn't tell yet. <laughs> uh, they had an area here where water would jump out like a little splash pad. That's where I hung out. I remember doing that for like thirty minutes. So then we're done in that area. My family rides Ozcat after trying to convince me to ride it. Again, I'm like, absolutely not. You're not getting me on that. So they finally do it. They get off, and they're like, oh, it's no worse than Jackrabbit. And then I knew. I'm like, okay, they're absolutely lying to me. There is no way. Like, I know I'm seven years old, but this thing looks unbelievable compared to the Jackrabbit. I was like, there's no way. So we walk back, and what we're doing now is you backtrack through the park. It wasn't a loop by any means. So once you're – there are like a few dead ends in the park – so we hit this dead end at Route 66, so we backtrack all the way to the Flying Scooters, then we go on the other side of the park. This side of the park is more of the, in my opinion, the least themed section of the park, I would say. I don't even know that it has a theme now that I'm thinking about it. It was just rides placed here and there. Um, things we went by included, um, I think they had a Chance Chaos there. Uh, that It might have that might have come a year after we visited first, because I don't think it was original to the park. Maybe it was. But I remember that being there. I remember there being, like, a magic shop. I was really into magic, so that was fun. Um, there was a costume shop, maybe, like, a dress-up shop. Um, and then I remember we passed by a couple of those, 
you know, rides where it's like you're on a motorcycle, like I was talking about earlier, or a car, and it just goes in a circle. Um, oh, and then I remember seeing for the first time ever an SNS um, shot tower, double shot, I think. It's now at Fireman's Landing um, at Silver Dollar City. But I saw that, and absolutely not again. <laughs> They're like, oh, you should do this one. <laughs> no. Super Would you loud. Say that, that with the Ozark Wildcat were the highest thrill attractions in the park? I would say those were two of the three. There's a third one that was also there. Oh. Um, so on the shot tower, either I was young or maybe they modified it when they moved it to Fireman's Landing. I don't know. But I just remember the shot tower being massive when I was younger. Um, and then you go to Fireman's Landing and, yeah, it's part of Fireman's Landing in a building, you know. It's like, this is not that good of a ride. Um, so maybe it was taller or maybe it was built on a mountain. But I remember, like... Even if you would go to Whitewater, which was across the street, basically, you could see the top of the dro- of the shot tower. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, like I said, I was younger. Maybe they did modify it. I doubt they modified it. Um, but that was there. So I watched my family do it and made fun of them as they went up. I was like, ha, 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 you're riding this because you're a loser. I'm not riding it. Um, so they all get off and... We then go down a main drag moving towards the other dead end of the park. You go by a bunch of different carnival games. A lot of them, um, I think, are in the Grand Exposition out of Dollar City. One being the the hammer thing that you hit. You hit the big steel target and it shoots up the light. And you've got to get as high as you can to hit the bell. Um, I remember that being there. There was all sorts of balloon popping games. And we also went by the pavilion. The pavilion overlooked this large lawn. You could sit in the lawn or you could sit in the pavilion, but that was for, I think it was called Ignite the Night, which was a fireworks laser show that capped the night off every single night at Celebration City. So we would move back to the pavilion as the park got closed, as the park got closer to closing, I should say. But the reason you do the park this way is once you're at this other dead end, you're closer to the fireworks than if you were at the whole other side of the park, which is where Ozark Wildcat was. Um... We kept moving towards the dead end. I remember there being food there. Um, and this is where they had, I would say, the third large thrill attraction. It was called Fireball. I don't know, Chris, what the flat ride classification would be. This was like a pendulum with like five cars facing each other. Um, and you would go back and forth um, as the car, as the vehicle itself would spin. Um, it was kind of like a flying, um, not a flying saucer. It's kind of like a Max Air but it's smaller and you're facing okay. inwards rather than outwards. Mm-hmm. So um, a variation on that. I think Technical Park has a, um, a model like that. I don't know if that's what you had rode, rode or ridden, um, but I know what you're saying, where it's like that Max Air, the pendulum is swinging, but the ride itself is also spinning, so you get a mix of airtime and positive Gs with it. Yes, and much smaller and Definitely made for a carnival or fair. Um, I definitely have rode these at fairs since then. Uh, so it's, it's mm-hmm. a traveling ride that they've made permanent there. Uh, you know the drill. Not going to do that one. <laughs> it's like one of the main thrills. But there, right beside the ride, right beside Fireball, was the ride that I fell in love with that I rode over and over and over again. I probably rode this thing 20, 30 times. It was called Shoot D Shoot. D is in letter D, as in DJ. Shoot, D, shoot. Uh, and shoot, D, shoot. Shoot, D, shoot. This was a log ride. I mean, all it did, you. I remember <laughs> the whole thing I could tell was just, was, was, it was just like everything else. It's like this was a traveling ride that is in a permanent location. At least it seemed that way. Um, the queue itself, the boarding station um, was all that sort of catwalk style thing where it's all part of the ride itself rather than being its own independent thing. You get in the, in the log and you'd immediately go up the first hill. This is, it's the shortest hill. You do a 180, you go down the drop, you hit the water, you do another 180, go up the second hill, which is larger, get to the top, 180, bigger drop, 180 back to the station. And I remember just marathoning this thing because nobody was riding it. I mean, it was like three or four people. And the other thing I will say about this park, it was never busy. And I don't think that that was me being younger. I think that is me accu- accurately remembering that it just wasn't busy. I could say I wasn't there on a busy day, 
it's possible, but the years that we went was never, never busy. I remember this is back in the day where you'd be on, I was on shoot to shoot. They're like, you want to go again? Absolutely. All right. We'll send it again. You didn't even have to get out. Um, so I, I, again, I did that thing. I don't know how many times. And I remember each splashdown had this unique like covering that I think it was designed to contain the splash inside, which was kind of cool. I've never seen that anywhere okay, else. I, I know exactly what you're referring to. Uh, when you were describing the layout, it was making me think of the log flume at Coney Island in Luna Park, where it did have a pretty compact layout. It looks like it could have traveled, but yes, those shields that were on the splashdown, would those get you even more wet because they'd redirect yeah. the water onto you? They had to have. And I oh, think so it you was... you were just soaked. I think the idea was, you know, it keeps the water away from everything else because it's in such a small area and keeps it away from people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this ride, you rode it once, you're, you're absolutely soaked. And I rode it like 20, 30 times. Uh, because, you know, the drops didn't give me that sinking feeling I didn't like. It was predictable. You know, it was a kid's attraction, and I loved it. Um, so that's essentially how that day went. There's there's a cool ending to this day, though, I will tell you. Because you're probably wondering, wow, how did how did this sort of day really kick everything off? And I, I for me at least, and I think it has to do with a variety of things. Number one, I think it's the theming that first area, it really made me think like I was somewhere else. Like I wasn't in Branson. I was in this actual city and these people are celebrating something. It's everyone was happy. There's great music playing. I think that's number two, the, the ambience with all the different music everywhere. Um, but you know, the third thing was the fireworks and laser show. And so I looked forward to that. And then there at the end of the day, they, they would, they would have that show. And I can't remember if the park immediately closed after that, or if it was before. I remember, though, there being a water element to it, so they do projections up on this large rock wall. I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, even. Um, But they would project, like, Elvis. They would project um, the space shuttle going to the moon. They would essentially go through America, uh, the history of the United States, I should say, and they would go through and basically look at these different events, huge historical events, and so they had lasers and fireworks. And so I think that was a third thing for me was like this sort of awe-ness to it. Like, wow, this is a huge show. This is really cool. And I think that's what also made me fall in love with it. But the last thing, the most critical thing was, uh, and I, I still thank her to this day, um, my aunt, I don't, I wouldn't say she forced me, but I would say she really encouraged me or persuaded me to ride the Ozark Wildcat. I did not want to do it. And I cannot remember if this happened right before the fireworks show or right after, but I remember walking all the way there thinking, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. She's like, Oh no, no. She's like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it again. She wasn't forcing me. I was like, okay, okay. Um, I remember getting on Wildcat and I'm going to say it's the end of the night. Cause that sounds more romantic. I think. Now, is this still your first visit to Celebration City in yes. 03? Yes, this is the okay. same this is the same visit. And it, it might sound more poetic if I say it's the end of the night. I feel like it was. Um so we get on Wildcat, we finally get on it. Again, there's no line, we got right up to it. I remember sitting in this GCIC and I remember thinking of how massive this thing was just from the car because I'd been on Jackrabbit and I'd been on other rides throughout the day and this thing was this huge, you know, leather seat with this big bar that comes over your waist and you have to put a seatbelt on and everything looks so new, I remember, and so shiny and I was thinking, wow, this is this thing is huge and that made me more nervous. Um, so I remember the, the ride went and most GCIs have this sort of thing that I think RMC kind of picked up on as well this sort of pre-lift section where you go left and right and a couple bunny hops and stuff um i remember thinking okay this isn't so bad and then we hit that chain lift and from there my eyes were closed the entire way up i don't think i hyperventilated but i remember breathing pretty hard like oh like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh she's like you're okay you're okay and i remember she was holding on to me like clutching on to me you know keeping me close to her and I remember having my eyes closed, and we went down what I thought was the first drop was only the pre-drop. And then I thought, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then we twist into the first giant drop, and I remember my stomach just <laughs> falling to my feet. But I had a blast. I enjoyed the entire ride. Um, 
I thought it was going to cry. We hit the brake run. And I couldn't believe how much I loved that ride. And the sad part was I was ready to ride again, but the park was closing, so we couldn't. So I had to wait until it was either next year or maybe we went back uh, in that same week because this park only was like $25 to get into, maybe 30 I remember it also being pretty inexpensive. Um, but after that, Chris, riding the Wildcat, that is when my love of roller coasters was really cemented for me. Now, I wouldn't go upside down for years after that. Um, not because I was scared necessarily, but I had been on other rides that made me sick. And so I always assumed if I go upside down, it's just going to automatically make me sick. Um, and so I didn't do that for a number of years. But again, though, I will say we went to Silver Dollar City, I think a couple years after that, because I felt confident to ride roller coasters. Um, I rode Powder Keg the year it opened in 2005 fell in love with that thing. Um, again, that just made me love coasters even more. The launch, how the unique the ride was. Um, and it was kind of history from there. But if it wasn't for my aunt persuading me, if it wasn't for her convincing me to ride Ozark Wildcat, to ride that, that first GCI, um, I wouldn't be here today. And I've told some of the GCI guys that too. And they, they think that's cool. So... Well, you told me once about something about the GCI logo with relation to Ozark Wildcat. What was that? I don't know. I I thought you had told me once that the coaster itself in the logo was based off of Ozark Wildcat. Could that be the case, or am I thinking of something else? Um, Maybe I had told you I thought that. Because it's based off of, I think it's based off of the Crystal Beach Cyclone. Okay, I, I might be thinking of the Hershey Park Wildcat, which was their first coaster ever. That okay, could be it. My mistake. That could be I it. I misremembered that. But yeah, they built a lot of Wildcats, <laughs> a lot of Wildcats out there. But, but that's that thing, just uh, I, harkening back to. I remember the, the I, I remember the trains on that on that thing being so cool. They were. They were completely black, like a piano black, and then they had this red and white glowing slash mark through each of the cars. And then the front of the car with the, you know, the GCI typical, you know, bars that would come up vertically had these eyes of the Wildcat on it. I remember that just being so cool. If you'll allow me to indulge this for a moment, DJ, I want to be a bit of a armchair expert here. Ozark Wildcat. Do you think there could have been a space somewhere in Silver Dollar City to have moved it to Silver Dollar City? Could that have even been possible, do you think? You know, that's an interesting question, Chris. And I think that was always a rumor. I mean, they didn't demolish the Wildcat for years. Um, It was still standing in 2013. Um, Yes, it had, you know, literally plants growing inside of it. You can look these coasters up on, or this coaster in particular, up on RCDB. Um, it has literally trees growing in between where the rails are. And it's very sad to see because it was such a unique ride. Um, now, I haven't been on on Mystic Timbers, um, but of the few GCIs I've been on, it was always my favorite. And it had to be nostalgia for me just because, you know, it was my very first, of course. Thunderhead was awesome, and, and there's others I'd been on, but... Um, I've really enjoyed that one. Haven't been on Mystic Timbers. All that to say, I remember in 2013, or no, I guess this would be 2012, when they announced uh, Outlaw Run was coming. The year before that, we had seen some pictures of things through fences. So this is in 2011. We had seen pictures of something that looked wooden. We saw wooden supports going up, or what was rumored to be a wooden coaster. And I remember folks in this area of the country thinking they might actually be moving Wildcat. Um, Hmm. I think the challenge with Wildcat, and I think this is hilarious to say, I think the challenge was actually that it was too flat. Everything is so custom made at Silver Dollar City as far as terrain is concerned. The only thing being flat rides, of course, where they have to level land. But all of their rides use topography, whereas Wildcat, not so much. So I think what's more sad to me, or I guess maybe not, maybe sad isn't the right word here, but I guess maybe disappointing is the right word. And to me, it's that 
I think this ride could have been anywhere else. It seems like there are not a lot of coasters out there that have gone the way of the dodo for reasons that were not the fault of the coaster not being great or being in the way of something better coming through. Um, there are some examples of coasters where the park just closed, and so the coasters there closed as well and either didn't get moved or moved and were put in storage for decades and then were demolished. But Ozark Wildcat is one of those where it looked like a really good ride, and I wish I could have ridden it. I remember driving past that plot, and I, you think you, you might have even been the one to point out and say, you see that gravel plot right there? That's where the Ozcat used to be. <laughs> it was me. I oh. remember that. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, "Stop the car!" You made me. We had to. We had to. <laughs> we had to pull off. You're like, "We have to stop right now." I think it's interesting yeah. too. Mm. There, there's this photo I found on RCDB as I'm looking at this, and it looks like they. And this would be probably Chris Gray. He's with GCI. He makes these fantastic coaster models. If you've never seen those, dear listener, um, these awesome really expensive models that he makes. Um, but it looks like they have a model here when they announced Wildcat coming, when they announced Celebration City being a thing. Uh, and the layout is different. I find that interesting than what actually came to be. Hmm. So I would encourage anyone to look that up. It's like the layout is is backwards from what it is now, and there's less of some elements in there, but... Sorry to interrupt you. I just I realized as I'm looking at this, wait, this isn't what they actually built. This looks a little bit different. Interesting. I I wonder why that is cuz that's sort of I mean the internet existed back then, but there wasn't the coverage of a coaster's construction. So to have a photo of the example, the model of what the coaster was supposed to be, I guess might have been a, a rarity back then, but I remember listening to the construction or people talk about the construction of another wooden coaster a couple of years after that called the voyage at holiday world hey. uh, where they were building it and i think it was a coaster radio interview from back in the day they were talking about the construction of it and they were still tweaking the layout as they were building it and they had the <laughs> opportunity to go to a full 90 degree bank towards the end of the ride and they said sure let's do it so i know that when coasters open these days it seems like they are final and it seems like the final engineering is done on the ride at least from the visual standpoint to the layperson like you and me but it's it's interesting to consider i guess another thing that would come to mind is invader at bush gardens williamsburg they had announced it pretty early on in the construction process of the coaster, and they didn't even have the final statistics. They said, I think, the first drop was going to be 60-something feet, and a <laughs> month later or two months later, something like that, they announced that the statistics have been updated and it's now going to be uh, an 11-foot higher drop or something like that. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting to consider what goes on in the development of a coaster that late into the timeline. Because uh, we would generally think it's it's finished. The boat has been put in the bottle. The ship has been put in the bottle uh, when it's announced to the fans and the people and everything to sell those season passes. But it does seem like in many cases, and apparently in the Ozark Wildcats case as well, uh, that it is a working process through the construction and then opening of it. And, of course, it was sad to see um, this ride eventually get demolished. Um, there is now a church where Celebration City was. Um, the church itself uses many of the buildings that were used as shops and other things um, during its operation as an amusement park. So if you ever are in Branson, um, you can go to that church. I believe it's called Woodland Hills. You can go to the church. You can... I'm assuming you can. Don't say I sent you, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm assuming you can go in and see some of these buildings. Um, obviously, you can't go back into the property because that property is still there. There's still some buildings um, in there, and so something to keep in mind. But the church filmed the video as it was being demolished, and I don't know. I think the thing got millions of views because it's a roller coaster. I, they probably called it roller coaster falling down or something. 
Um, I remember so. it being on the Weather Channel for whatever reason. <laughs> I was like, why did this get reported by the Weather Channel? Okay, whatever. But DJ, why did the park close and when did it close? So the park closed in 2008. Um, I don't know why it closed. The only thing I could probably assume is that it was 2008. We all remember that year. Um, I guess not all of us. I don't know who listens to the show. I don't know how young people are. But I remember 2008. I remember things being a little, you know, honestly scary for a kid. And I remember people saying, oh, you know, the economy's collapsing and everything else. And I remember gas going up and I remember all sorts of stuff. And that was... Been there, done that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so that was in a way kind of a, you know, a, a, a fatality or a tragedy of 2008, I would assume. Um, it was gone after that. Well, DJ, it has been great to hear about your time at Celebration City, a park that I'll never go to because it's lost to the yarns of history, whatever else, whatever other metaphor I can bring to convey that this is gone. And that's what makes it so much more special that you were able to experience it and then bring a little bit of that to us with this trip report. Uh, And so I do appreciate that. I want to close out with one question, because I had heard a rumor once about Branson, USA, that when it had been put up for sale around 2001, 2002, Silver Dollar City bought it, yes, but one of the major reasons that they bought it is because someone else was allegedly looking to buy it, and that was the Walt Disney Company. Do you know anything about this rumor? I don't know anything about that rumor. I have heard that rumor. Um, And I think, okay, where could that have maybe come from? Where did it sprout from? You know, I think it makes sense that that plot of land, I mean, was at least purchased, if that makes sense. It is in such a good location where Branson is. Um, You know, like I said, you have to go there to get to Silver Dollar City. Um, there's stoplights there already. Um, and knowing how a park like Disney creates their experiences, you know, they kind of just level everything and then build everything from scratch. I don't remember or even know, honestly, how much land I was there. Like, I, like I said, I remember going in the parking lot from the parking lot, you go right up to the entrance. I don't think there was a tram or anything like there was at Silver Dollar City, but I remember just walking up to the entrance and So I don't know if there's maybe more land that they own that was never developed. I remember Roaring Falls being kind of in an area that wasn't developed, so it seemed like maybe they could have pushed back more. And with Roaring Falls, how it was constructed, you know, is more of a Silver Dollar City type of deal where, you know, they put more almost care into the queue line and the experience and the theming, whereas some of the other things were just leftovers from the previous parks that were there. So... All that to say, I've not heard that, or I have heard that rumor. I don't know if that's true. I don't know Yeah. if it could be. I mean, I guess it could be. I mean, I'm sure well, Disney there... has a team of people that were probably <laughs> looking to do that. Well, it could be that there is nothing to it that the locals of Missouri just wanted to feel important. So they said, oh, Disney's trying to buy it. Disney's trying to buy it. I don't know if there's any... <laughs> fire to that smoke. Uh, I will say, though, four or five years before that would have allegedly almost happened or been considered, there was an actual theme park existing that Disney was actively trying to buy in 1996 and 1997. And do you know what I'm referring to? Was it in Ohio? No. Virginia. Nope. Nope, it wasn't Disney's America. That was going to be a a project from scratch as well. Uh, Also in the 90s, which uh, I guess with Michael Eisner, they were definitely trying to aggressively expand their theme park portfolio at that time. Uh, This was Knott's Berry Farm. Ah. Yeah, and they were legitimately trying to buy it when the Knott family was trying to sell in the mid-90s. They had already sold off their agricultural assets, I think, in 92 or 93. Um, And so then they were trying to sell the park itself. 
and they considered bids from Cedar Fair, and they had looked at Disney too, and ultimately they went with Cedar Fair. And uh, that park wow. has definitely had a lot of changes with Cedar Fair, but uh, they've made a lot of changes back to maybe uh, get back towards the theme park that it used to be before that time as well. Uh, so Knott's has a very interesting history, and there was some speculation when Disney was trying desperately to get a second gate in Southern California, where they had at one point had plans to develop the shorefront along the Queen Mary down in Long Beach, where they were going to make that Disney Sea. So I've heard all sorts of crazy rumors, and it's very interesting to consider what if, and I guess this is just one of those things too, what if Disney had come to Branson? That would be very intriguing, very intriguing to consider one day. And maybe we'll make that a podcast episode. What if Disney had come to Branson? Maybe we'd put together uh, uh, something where what would happen if this happened? Um, I know that you and I had kicked around an idea more than a year ago um, that we hadn't mentioned on the air yet, but I'll mention it now just to tantalize the listener. Some politician in West Virginia had said something about supporting tourism and somehow the headline evolved into, I want to bring Disneyland to West Virginia. So (laughs) I know that's a very broad (laughs) statement, and I know it's ultimately just trying to be investing in tourism in the area, but it did get us thinking, and I'm going to have to look at my notes. In my notes app, I, I wrote down a bunch of ideas more than a year ago and said, what would it look like if there were a Disney park in West Virginia? Of course, it would be extremely different from anything they had done before, probably be on a scale different than what a lot of people are used to for a Disney park. Uh, but that would be interesting to flesh out, just be a sort of a an armchair imagineer. So maybe we'll do that in the next couple of episodes, DJ, and paint a picture for what Disneyland, West Virginia, could look like. I think that would be a fun thought experiment. I think it could be, too. You know, always time for that in a different episode. But I appreciate you, Chris, and I appreciate you, dear listener, for listening to the story. Chris, I hope your sleep is a little bit better than it has been. I hope that was just the right story that you needed. Oh, well, I would say yes, but now my mind is racing even faster trying to think about <laughs> what was and what could have been with Branson, USA and, uh, and Celebration City. But for the purposes of this framing device that we shoehorned into this episode, I'm going to say yes, DJ. Now I am able to rest. I'm able to sleep. I'm fighting off the Sandman as we speak right now. So let's close it up before I just pass out before we're even done recording, DJ. Uh, There are many ways for the listener, that's you, uh, to get in contact with us and have a corkscrew conversation with us. We have an email address, which is corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, sort of, and YouTube, sort of. Uh, So there's a lot of ways for you to interact with the show and get in contact with us. But if you do want to help us out, there's one easy, free way to do it, and that is leaving a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts or leaving a five-star review on Spotify. So there's a lot of ways for you to both interact with the show and give us a little bit of help while we're at it, too. Yeah, like you said, Chris, this is really... The best way you can help us out. Uh, The podcast is still free, still going strong. um, But at the moment, this is really the best way you, dear listener, can help us out. If this is your first episode, your 10th episode, maybe you're on episode 65 with us. um, We really do appreciate that. And uh, we look forward to uh, keeping this podcast going. Until next time, my name is Chris. And my name is DJ. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.